Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, and by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also, like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. We are a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network, a uh, collection of Charlotte podcasts produced in and centering around the Queen City, and also a proud member of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, broadcasting radio shows and podcasts about authors to a worldwide audience. I'm Landis Wade, the producer and host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. I'm the author of a trilogy of books where lawyers save Christmas, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street, and I write stories, and I love books, and I love dogs, and I love beaches and mountains and fly fishing and sports and reading and more, and I also love getting under the covers with my authors. So let's get to it. Hey, listeners, welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast. Uh, I'm talking today with Sarah Johnson and talking about her mystery novel, The Bones Remember. The Bones Remember is the second book in the Alexa Glock forensic mystery series. Like the first novel in the series, The Bones Remember is set on a New Zealand island where forensic investigator Alexa Glock must deal with the controversy of shark cage diving tourism in her effort to solve two murders. Set against a down-under and rugged landscape of land and sea, Alexa confronts the jaws of death and those who love and hate the shark cage diving industry in her pursuit to land the real killer. Publishers Weekly calls protagonist Alexa Glock a refreshingly normal heroine, and one NetGalley reviewer gave the book high marks, saying, This is a quick and thrilling read with characters so beautifully flawed that sometimes I wanted to yell at them. That's what makes a book enjoyable. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Landis. Yeah, and congratulations on the new book, The The Bones Remember. Very exciting. Yeah, so I love the name Alexa Glock. Uh, where did uh, where did you get that inspiration for that name? Uh, her name was um, a Kiwi neighbor we had when we lived in Christchurch, a woman who I really admired and took us on a strenuous day-long bike trip through Christchurch, which was still recovering from the earthquake um, her name was Alexis, and Glock came from a Southern Living columnist. Her last name was Glock, and I'm like, oh, I've got to steal that. <laughs> yeah, that that the name has a a certain let's go get get it done kind of feel to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. The third book, I'm starting to make Alexa jokes. It used to be Glock jokes, gun jokes, but now you know everybody will say, Alexa, what's the time? Alexa, what's the weather? <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> So before we talk about the book, uh, which I really enjoyed, by the way, uh, let's talk about you. You have a BA in journalism and a, a master's in education. Uh, you became a teacher. Uh, you taught uh, years. You love to read. 
Uh, and you said your first book was published at age 60, a fact that you are proud and excited about. And uh, tell us tell us why. Yeah, it's just like having a new career, certainly. Um, I'm not teaching full-time anymore, and it's just such a thrill to be so devoted in a new direction. Yeah, and you're president uh, of this organization called Triangle Sisters in Crime. What, what does it take to be a Sisters in Crime? And we aren't just sisters. We're siblings. We have uh, several uh, misters. Okay. Um, but anyway, it's a wonderful organization. It's a national organization that supports uh, mystery and crime writers. And we have some uh, great programs, uh, forensic people coming in, police coming in, lawyers coming in. Maybe we'll have you. <laughs> in fact, we'd love to have you. <laughs> uh, that'd be fun if you want to talk about uh, lawyers saving Christmas. Yeah, yeah. And the mysteries that go along with that. Uh, <laughs> So uh, you're also a member of the North Carolina Writers Network, and uh, you've been a part of that for a while. And uh, you were a middle school teacher until your husband proposed this, we use the word novel since we're talking about books, <laughs> this novel idea, some would call it a crazy idea, uh -huh. of living in a place down under for one year. Yeah. It's like, twist my arm. He said, do you want to take a year off teaching? And <laughs> like, sure, my youngest uh, child was a sophomore in college, and it, it was just the right time to do this. My husband had recently retired, and it's like you can put all these hurdles in front of you and say, oh, we just couldn't make that happen, but we, we made it happen. Rented out our house, and the rest <laughs> is history. We and could not stay a full year. New Zealand would not let us stay a full year. A tourist visa is only good for 10 months. So uh, we we couldn't even extend it. So we were actually there 10 months. Yeah, and you're normally, you live in Durham, North Carolina. And so I, I'm thinking, you know, those old Indiana Jones movies where the plane is going across the map and then and then the boat and then the boat is going across the sea. It's like planes, trains, and automobiles to get there, right? It was, yes. Yeah. So let's talk about this landscape because I really enjoyed, uh, you know, reading this book and being in that part of the world, uh, at least the escape of going there. There are three islands. I didn't know much about New Zealand, but I looked it up after I read your book. Three islands. Uh, tell us about this uh, wonderful uh, area of the wow. world. Wow. So there are the major three islands. Most people live on the North Island in the Auckland area. We chose to live on the South Island. We thought it was closer to uh, more rugged landscape. So I would say New Zealand overall is entirely wild and rugged <laughs> as, as it gets. Um, but Christchurch let us be close to a lot of the places we wanted to travel. And hanging off uh, Christchurch is Stewart Island. And it is just only 400 people. It's quite a large island, but hardly anyone lives there. Most of it is National Park. And it's just a birder's paradise a hunter's paradise, and as it turns out, um, the sharks love it too. Yeah, and actually, Stewart Island is the uh, location uh, where Alexa Glock is trying to solve this mystery. And to get there, she has to go on a ferry and cross a strait. I can't pronounce it. It starts it's with an F. Mm -hmm. Ovo. Ovo Strait. It's the way to Stewart Island, um, but it's uh, you, you know you describe it in the book, and also I looked it up. High winds, rogue waves. People have died, you know, getting just from one side to the other yeah. to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Our ferry was delayed like eight hours before we could cross it. And I'm telling you, I've never been so 
seasick in my life. Okay. <laughs> it was tremendous, tremendous but, waves. But when you get there, you just got this beautiful country with only, as you said, 400 people. Yes. You've got mountains, you've got the coast, uh, and of course, you've got the great white sharks. Who knew it was a mecca for great white sharks? Uh, now, this this landscape is, I think, a you know, you sort of fell into this a little bit as a mystery writer because it's a great location, I think, yes. to set mysteries. People go missing there. Mm -hmm. uh, they go. They get swept away by rains and swollen rivers. They they died due to winds and and mm -hmm. high seas, and they mm -hmm. die because of sharks. Mm -hmm. So. So though I, though I will say nobody in Stewart Island has died from a shark attack. And shark attacks in New Zealand are very rare because mm -hmm. the water's so darn cold. <laughs> oh, you don't want to get in it. Okay. And, and yet there's this thing called shark cage diving, which is at the heart of your book. And uh, I think you wrote a little blog piece or something that got published where you, you said your husband asked you, do you want to go shark cage diving? And uh he said a lot of great whites hang around the island, and, and your response was? <laughs> well, I said I'd rather go birding, but I will say it was not because I was afraid. It was really, I just had an innate feeling then that we should leave the sharks alone to their own environment and not stick our noses in it. And so it wasn't that I was afraid. Tourists do it all the time, and they come back. My husband, when he found out the cost, he said, oh, yeah, let's go birding. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't sound like, a, I mean, you know, they give you a tube to breathe through. You get in this cage, you go into water. And, and you said Alexa has opinions about tourists who get down in the cage. And you gave a little, a little snippet from your book where she says, uh, uh, one of the characters says, I took photos. There's a place in the cage with no bars. I leaned out so I could get good shots. And she says, perhaps Theo's gene pool needed culling. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I love uh, making myself laugh when I write. Yeah. So before, before we get onto the covers, let's talk about the book cover itself. Um, it's, uh, it, it jumps out at you. I love the color red, first of all. But you've got a skull on the front. And are those sharp, sharp teeth, too? Yeah, that's a shark jaw. Yes. Okay. I know. It's really striking. It is. The Bones Remember title. Let's talk about that when we get under the covers. You ready to get under the covers? I'm ready to get under the covers. Hey, listeners, a special thanks here to the Red Bud Writing Project, our episode sponsor. They offer creative writing classes in fiction, memoir, and more to adults. They're located in Raleigh and usually uh, meet at community spaces around the Triangle, but due to the pandemic, all their classes are meeting online for the foreseeable future. Their classes include a workshop component, and they take a craft-based approach to learning writing. They offer advice, prompts, and lessons. They have a good time doing it, so if you'd like to learn more, check out redbudwriting.org. Also, if you'd like to support your uh, favorite local independent bookstore and get audiobooks at the same time, uh, you can join libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and if you use the promo code Charlotte Reader, that's all one word, you may not be from Charlotte, but you can still be a Charlotte reader to get this benefit. When you use that promo code, you're going to get uh, two books for the price of one when you join at uh, Libro's $14.99 monthly membership level. This is a great way to support uh, your local independent bookstore and get uh, great audiobooks uh, at the same time. So check it out. All right, listeners, we're under the covers uh, with author Sarah Johnson. She is a sister in crime, but she hadn't been uh, put in jail for that yet. But she's, <laughs> she's the author of The Bones, remember, and... Uh, 
this this was a fun read. I read it real quickly. Um, Alexa Glock is the kind of a, a detective. You, you, well, she's not a detective per se, but she's trying to detect who, who killed who, and um, she's the kind you like to pull for. Um, tell us about the title, sir. The title came from my editor. I wanted to call this book Chum. I'm apparently I'm terrible at um, titling my books, so I've just given it over to my editor for her job. And the first book was called Molten Mud Murder. From now on, they want to put bones in all my title. They want me to be um, up there in the Kathy Reich's uh, bookshelf, and tone, uh, bones will feature in all my uh, subsequent titles. The third book I'm working on is called The Bone Track. All right. Well, that's why you hire people that uh, know what they're, <laughs> what, what they're doing, right? Yeah, but what's wrong with Chum? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know. I kind of like the bones. Remember too. Good, so, good. Yeah. Uh, well, let's speaking of that. Let's talk about Alexa Glock's specialty. Okay. Yes, I mean, what is not to love about teeth? Alexa Glock specializes in odontology because teeth are the most resilient part of the human body, and they are often the only thing left after some disaster, like a fire or. Uh, being buried for a long time, and they serve her well. They um, opened up doors to her in New Zealand with her fellowship, and afterwards she was able to barrel her way into this job that she currently has as a traveling forensic investigator. It's it's a great premise for a series because she's just going to go from one town to another as needed. New Zealand is so small that they can't afford to have forensic investigators in their small towns. So she'll go where needed. Yeah. And the tagline on the back of the book, I think uh, ties into her specialty. Lips may lie, but but teeth never do. (laughs) So she uses the dental records and the teeth she finds to try to determine who's been murdered. And uh, what else can you determine from teeth about a about a death. Uh, you could determine what people ate, where they lived, um, how old they are by the teeth that are left behind. And what attracted you to this branch of science? I thought it hasn't been done. I thought, and you know, there's also linguistic uh, forensic specialists. So it was like linguistics or teeth. And I thought teeth lent itself better to the New Zealand landscape. Well, what did you have to do to educate yourself about uh, teeth? You you, t- you didn't go to medical school. You didn't, I'm, I'm sure right. that you, you probably lean more toward uh, literature maybe than science. That's right. That's yeah. right. Totally. So, you know, having this forensic investigator in my life is like having a second career. And the first book, I had a forensic specialist read it and let me know what I had gotten wrong. And right now I'm working with the premier fingerprinting specialist in North Carolina who is going to be my go-to and make sure I have things right. But essentially, I try to do very careful research and make it uh, in layman's terms. Well, and as you say, it is kind of like a second career, but it's uh, I presume it's one that uh, uh, you're excited about to learn these new facts. Just thrilled. Yeah. It's just thrilling. And same within this book, learning about sharks. That was such a thrill. I felt like a kid again. Yeah, well... 
that is a big part of the book. And uh, mm -hmm. let's talk Let's talk a little bit about the plot here. Alexa, she is this traveling forensic investigator. She goes to Stewart Island. When human bones are found in the woods, not on the beach, uh, most of this island is national forest, uh, 12 miles of road. Um, <laughs> but then one case, that one case turns into two mm -hmm. when a shark ravaged body washes ashore, yeah. right? Yes, yes. So Alexa is immediately helicoptered one from one scene to the other. And um, this is what all the locals thought would happen, that there would be a shark attack. They thought that the chumming that the cage divers were doing uh, were making the sharks more aggressive. They were seeing sharks where they had never seen sharks before. And all this is true. All this is uh, currently happening in Stewart Island. And, and they're so afraid there's going to be a death. So when this body does wash up, all the locals are like, okay, our realizations have happened. This has got to stop. Alexa then does an autopsy on the bottle and make, uh, body and makes a very startling um, discovery that I won't go into now. That's right. We got to get them to buy the book. So, to <laughs> talk talk a little bit about the hierarchy here. You know what? what you know what position uh, in the hierarchy does Alexa enter into when she's trying to solve these? murder. She's not the chief of police. She's not in charge. She's got a different role. Um, and sometimes that role creates a problem for her in navigating. Talk about how that worked in this book. Yes. Uh, Alexa sometimes acts before thinking and it, it gets her into trouble. Um, she a couple times, I, I guess you could say that she has a hard time uh, taking orders, maybe because of that hierarchy. She is not a police officer. So She's not quite sure where she fits, and I think her uh, she goes by science, and she goes by what she thinks is right to solve the crime, and it doesn't always follow uh, the police officers. In, she doesn't always follow police officers' instructions. It gets her and, into trouble. So we've got a police officer on the island um, with a small police force, maybe one or two people. There's just two. Just two. <laughs> And then you've got somebody from another island that she kind of reports to who shows up, who it sounds a little bit like she's got a love yeah. interest thing potentially yeah. going on for him. But, definitely, but, definitely. But, but Alexa's single, right? And She is single. She's never been married. No kids. Uh, she generally is better at postmortems than she is with men. <laughs> <laughs> That's not great pillow talk, postmortems, you know. <laughs> Uh, so is Alexa going to find some romance in the upcoming book? You know, I asked my readers about that and, um, everybody wants, uh, wants that to continue, but it's hard. I thought that she would make more inro inroads on her love life in this book, but she didn't. And the same thing is happening in book three. <laughs> okay. So you're just going to continue to play with that a little bit. Uh -huh. okay. uh -huh. That's fine. Well, let's do this. Let's give, um, we're going to do a little reading. Uh, we've got a scene here in the book uh, that involves the sharks. It's uh, it's a scene where uh, Alexa's uh, investigating, I think, with one of the other, uh, well, the, the second officer that's on the island. But before you do that, let's set up who, who is in this scene so that we know who uh, McAdam is and we know who yeah. uh, McAdam is. is the captain of a fishing boat, and he and Alexa and Constable Cope are rowing from the moored fishing boat back to shore. McAdam whipped off his sunglasses, leaned forward, clunked the oars against the gunnels. 
got a shark coming to take a look, he said huskily. Alexa's mouth went dry. She whipped around. Copay turned too, wobbling the boat. Off to the right, a dark fin sliced the surface, parallel to the rowboat, trailing a V-wake. Shit, Copay said. The enormous fin changed course, cutting the ocean in a straight menace to the rowboat, slow and unwavering. Alexa grabbed the bench, steeled herself for a ram. Row, she yelled. Splashing attracts them, McAdam said. It's already attracted, Alexa screamed. The fin disappeared. Alexa pushed her bottom off the bench and onto the floor of the rowboat. Any second they would be flipped into the water. Where's he gone? Copay asked. Alexa hugged her knees, head bowed, nose against mildewed life vest. God damn, McAdam said. He's circling. He's turning, Copay whispered, coming around. Alexa lifted her head, attracted for dark reasons from her own deep depths to the macabre. With slow motion care, she unfolded and inched back onto the bench, the rowboat listing. Watch it, Copay screamed, her body shaking. The shark came alongside. First, the white's head rippled by, flashing razor teeth and a primeval smile. Then miles of gill and torso. The triangular fin so close Alexa could touch the faded crescent scar near the tip and the ripped flag notches on the grayish flesh. Then the tail fin trailing a smaller wake. A full minute or year, it was hard to tell, of muscle and terror. The shark's immensity spellbinding. And then it sank out of sight. Three and a half meters, Copay whispered, clutching Alexa's hand, maybe more. Goal circled the rowboat, screeching. Alexa couldn't breathe. Is it, is it gone? I don't think so, McAdam said. That would not be a particularly comfortable boat, <laughs> boat to be in. Uh, get on a big boat, right? <laughs> I love that scene. It just gives me goosebumps reading it. <laughs> yeah, well, it gave me goosebumps another scene where they were put, getting down in the cage and they... You said the woman dropped down, the crew lowered mouthpieces attached to tubes. So they were getting air, but no scuba tanks, just hoses. And then they lowered them into this cage and they dropped below the surface. And then a crew member dropped a fish head on a line in front of the cage. Which is totally illegal in New Zealand. Yeah. All right. So uh, the shark situation... Um, I believe it's legal now to do the shark cage diving, but there's a lot of controversy about it, correct? There continues to be a lot of controversy, and they keep going back and forth for a while. For a good year after I wrote the book, it was banned, and now it's okay again. They are really going back and forth with their decisions. And, and the Native peoples uh, had a certain uh, diving routine they would do to... to, to um, I guess it's free diving to some extent to what were they, what were the, what were they diving for? Remind me of that. Oh, right. The abalone. That's right. The power. Um, okay. So the uh, many people on the Island uh, dive free dive for abalone. And it's just the most delicious abalone anywhere in the world and brings in a high price when they sell it. But the abalone divers were afraid to dive now because uh, the sharks were coming closer and closer to people, more curious. 
Yeah, because there's chum floating around in the water and uh, a lot of, uh, and then somebody washes up on the beach and uh, there's a you know, question about how they died. And, and another scene that's got some suspense in it, Alexa gets knocked into the water and somebody throws chum, chum on top of her. So I'm not sure she's going to want to go back to Stewart Island <laughs> anytime that, soon. That idea came from my uh, my writing teacher. She's like, you've got to have her chummed. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, why didn't I think of that? That's just priceless. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, writing life. Um, what was it, uh, Sarah, that uh, made you uh, take this leap from yeah. a teacher to author? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've always I've always been an, a writer, um, poetry. Uh, I I wrote quite a bit for newspapers, and I'm a voracious reader. And it was a time in my life where all those forces worked together. It was time to write a novel. I always set out to write a novel I would enjoy reading, and I did. And did the first novel come as a result of this experience um, living in New Zealand? It totally did. When my husband and I saw the mud pits, I had never been to a thermal area before. And when my husband and I saw the mud pits, I'm like, I have to kill somebody here. And so <laughs> in the first book, I did. <laughs> is, is that what y'all do at Sisters in Crime meetings? You sit around and think about how to kill people? Totally. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, you wrote the first book about the molten uh, falling in that and dying. Yeah. You got the second book that involves sharks and somebody you know, getting, getting shot on, on a hunting uh, trip. Um, so what is going to, who's, how's somebody going to die in the next book? Oh, it's great. I'm halfway through it. My, I have a contract for three books, which of course I'm hoping they'll renew. But right now, uh, Alexa is on the Milford track, one of the great walks in New Zealand. And the Milford track is probably the most famous and people come from all over the world to do this hike. It's a four day long hike. And, um, Alexa's getting into quite a bit of trouble halfway through the hike. Now, which Island is this on? Uh, Milford Track is on the South Island. It's in fjord land. Just a just a gorgeous, you know, glaciers and rivers and snow-capped peaks and it's just but the thing is it rains like 280 days a year. <laughs> so did somebody did, did somebody disappear? Do they find them in this uh, wilderness or what? Yeah, it's 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 just so good. I'm so excited about it. Ugh. Well, for one thing, there's a landslide and it uncovers bones. Uh, and so that's the first thing that happens. But then one of the hikers doesn't end up. You have to sleep in huts or lodges at night. You can't free camp. And one of the hikers in her hiking cohort doesn't show up and has gone missing. And so they have to search from this hike for this hiker. And, and it turns out somebody murdered her. Interesting. Okay, a little bit about your process. Uh, do you... Um tackle the book all at one time? Do you sort of reflect uh, a while before you start writing? Do you, did you outline? Do you could give us a little yes. bit? Of yes. Um, I, I try, I have the ideas and the general who did it from the outset and I'm trying really hard to plot, but I'm just not very good at it. And I, I like what William Faulkner says about just letting your characters walk alongside you and lead the way that works better for me. But I think that if I could plot, the writing would be easier. So I really struggle. I won't say I'm a pantser, but I don't plot out the whole book ahead of time. Now, I understand exactly what you're talking about because there's a certain joy in just sitting down with your characters and letting the story unfold 
on the one hand, but on the other hand, if you're writing a mystery, uh, you got to drop hints along the way and you got to know where you're going and you got to have some turnarounds and some obstacles and that kind of thing. That's right. That's yeah. right. So what do you hope readers get from your, from your series there? You know, I hope my readers, uh, number one, get an escape that I can just take their minds off what's going on in the world right now. I hope they get an adventure. I hope they learn a little bit about New Zealand. Maybe we'll consider going to New Zealand. And I hope they learn a little bit about forensics. And I hope they become attached to my main character. So they'll yeah. want to read more. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And so sort of breaking into this, uh, Sarah, sometimes when people make the transition and they want to write a novel, they might uh, self-publish, they might find a small press, they might query, they might try to get an agent. Uh, did you think uh, long and hard about how you wanted to go about doing this in terms of trying to find a niche? Because uh, you said you looked for uh, a forensic specialty that was a little bit different. And you also, mm -hmm. you're dealing with a part of the world that's south of Australia. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. so Were you looking for those kind of things as a way to kind of give you an edge? I definitely was, Landis. I thought odontology in New Zealand um, would give me an edge. And I, and I do believe it did because my editor, Barbara Peters from Poison Pen Press, she's a huge New Zealand fan, but my agent wasn't, you know, and she took the book. So, and I did set out to try to become traditionally published and it took a year. It took a year to find an agent. It's a, it's a long process. And I had, um, you know, over 60 rejections, but I would consider some of the rejections. I got positive rejections with uh, this is what I like. This is what I didn't like. So during that process of querying, I certainly honed the manuscript. Yeah, no, that's that's good advice for anyone who's thinking about uh, wanting to write a novel, find an agent, uh, and kind of get it out there. Because you know, if you can if you can hone in on something that's a little bit unique, mm -hmm. and you and you love your character, then you can continue to write it as a series. And a series is fun because you've got a little funnel there and people like the first book they buy the next book and so forth and so on that's right that's what yeah. i hope <laughs> yeah that's great so i asked something and we're about out of time here i just want to i usually ask uh authors uh this question and uh that is uh why do you write sarah probably i write because i read and i get so much enjoyment from all the variety of genres that I read, that it's um, a thrill to be um, amongst other writers. So I write because I enjoy reading so much. And what are you doing to uh, kind of promote Alexa Glock? Are you doing uh, social media stuff? Yeah, doing... it's a little tricky this time. I had yeah. such a great launch at McIntyre's Books in, uh, in the Pittsburgh area with my first book, but I'll be doing a, a few virtual launches with McIntyre again. And, uh, you know, but I'll be going out to the poison pen. Well, I won't be going out to the poison pen in Scottsdale, Arizona, but I'll be doing an event there that I look forward to a, a zoom event. Um, so it's, it's a little different getting a book out during a pandemic, but I think it still can be done. And I appreciate being on uh, Charlotte readers podcast. What a thrill. Yeah, we're glad to have you. This will be out in October. Your book will be out then. You'll be out. Wonderful. You'll be you'll be talking about it. Uh, <laughs> be good stuff just in time for Christmas to buy a good book, right? So to that's read right over the holidays. <laughs> uh, well, listeners, there's information uh, about Sarah in the show notes. There's links uh, to her and her website, and uh, there's, there's images here about uh, 
this. Oh, also, there are going to be some images she shared with me of, uh, of her time in Stewart uh, Island, uh, some beautiful landscapes. So, mm-hmm. so ch- check that out. Uh, Sarah, thanks so much for being on Charlotte Roos Podcast. Thank you so much, Landis, for having me. Read well, everyone. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved.